So, when you say the South Excuse end, me, 49 years old. What am I doing? 49? Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> I don't think I'm less than 40. I don't know where that happened. <laughs> All right. So, let's do that again. Let's do that again. <laughs> Gonna have that, that intro cut. It's just a it's a it's a production thing. So we'll let's start, let's start, start that over. Sorry. All right. Okay. <laughs> Do you need a drink? You alright? <laughs> Hi, I'm Beth Thorpe. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, in the South End, and I am almost 49 years old. got a job in an advertising firm here and we came from St. Louis and um, you know we'd been recommended to look for a house kind of mid we, we got one in the highlands and we but we pretty quickly were looking for ethnic food and we came to the south end because there's a lot of it here and the one thing that kept surprising me was why it wasn't seemed to be I don't know considered to be real Louisville that people made fun of it I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting going to a city you've not lived in your whole life. And, um, and I like to say it because I had a friend who grew up around here who became, who was really, when people say self-made man, uh, he loved it here and he loved the South End and he's no longer with us. So I always claim the South End because I think a lot of Louisvillians don't and I think there's a lot of good change going on here. So I always like to say it's where I'm at. There's so much here, and I, uh, to be really frank, I live in a house that I never thought I would live in. You know, I mean, I mean, not that I want everybody to come in here and, and prospect on houses, but I do have to say, it's like if people want, I don't know, get yourself out of the, the Highlands, Germantown land and find somewhere else to be. I don't know, down in the South End's good. There's good places to live. Traveled around. I, I actually grew, this doesn't make as much difference here, but it would to anyone who's from St. Louis. I actually grew up in Illinois. There's a real cultural difference between living in Illinois and living in Missouri. You've got the Mason-Dixon line. I understand. It's really, it's very different. Um, it, and it's, and you're within the same metro area. But I, I grew up there. I did a nice big stint in Chicago, which gave me a, a big. Uh, I don't know. I had a very big group of progressive activist friends there. I lived there for 10 years. Um, and then I lived in Seattle for a few, which I learned that I can't live where it drizzles for 75% of the year. And there's no sun literally in the winter time. So, and you know, it, and it kind of affects the people out there. I like, I kind of like the Midwestern, um, attitude and then and then I came back to the Midwest I ended up living in st. Louis proper the house that my husband and I had there uh, it was eight minutes from Ferguson riots if at most so uh, but we still own that house because we can't sell it it's one of those uh, we have 
tenants there. And we still know our neighbors there, and we still, you know, I go back once, sometimes more than once a year to deal with the house, and I still know everyone. And it's it affects. I mean, when the Ferguson riots were going on, I had friends in the media there. I had friends who were protesting, and I had friends that were police officers that were there. And it was heroin to watch on Twitter and stuff. But yeah. But anyway, so there was there. So I came to Louisville after. Uh, uh, John got a job here. He's in advertising, and advertising has its ups and downs in cities. In St. Louis, when Anheuser-Busch was uh, bought out by InBev, Anheuser-Busch used to love to make beautiful ads and make awards, and they dumped all sorts of money into local companies. And um, when that happened, the advertising industry just shrunk. Even though my husband was not advertising beer, he advertises booze here now. <laughs> and other things, and engines and things. So th that's how we ended up here. Got a, he got a job with an advertising agency. And I didn't know much about Louisville before we came. Um, I, bizarrely, I traveled so much, but I'd never gone this way. I'd never left Illinois and gone out 64. I went a lot west and went a lot east coast, just hadn't made it here and all I, I knew two things. I knew of course about the Derby, who wouldn't know about Derby. Well, three things. I knew about hot browns because those are delicious. And I knew the, the girl group, the Troubadours of Divine Bliss because they used to go to a bar. And actually here's a really good story. They were the ones when I was moving here were pushing information about the time bank and that's why I joined. Um, I knew a little bit about time banks. Um, time banking actually did start in St. Louis proper uh, in the early 70s, one of the most, the earliest modern incarnations. Um, and it was really about building community in neighborhoods where there was a lot of poverty and really trying to show the assets. But I was not involved there. It wasn't until I came here that I got involved with the woman who started it. And I kind of became her do-it-all behind-the-scenes gal. It's interesting with the Time Bank because people think, people first hear about the Time Bank, what their first impression really is, is oh my God, I'm gonna get somebody to do work without having to pay them. Or it's a barter organization. And you know, and when we when it first started, you know, I mean how you're how you present yourself to communities and everything. You don't know as much, you know, and and what we've really come down to more is it's really a community building organization. And um, it's not so much, oh my God, you're gonna get all this stuff for free. Uh, a lot of times the media really likes to talk about the time bank in that fashion. And then a lot of people join thinking they're gonna get a lot of stuff for free. But, uh, but what's been wonderful being uh, the director of the time bank is knowing a lot of the stories behind it because um, in essence all we really do is supposedly is make exchanges I go to your house I help you paint you know and then you get some time credits or you I get time credits for painting and then and then maybe I would go you know get someone to help me in my garden with me or or and then so that seems really straightforward but boy there's been so many other things I've I know people who have there's been romantic relationships that have happened in the time bank that have lasted there's been um, people getting all kinds of support through health crises. 
You know, it's just a real good community of support. It's not easy to soundbite that. Sure. But for a lot of people, I think, and I don't say this a lot in regular media because I think it gets confused a lot, I think for a lot of people it can take the place possibly of more of a faith community in the way it's like, it's not that we believe in, it's not, there's no religion involved, more just that community aspect of that. These are people that know you and care about you. When something happens, they got your back. You know, that part of any faith, you know, I mean, and as a minister's daughter, I think it's really the part that I'm attracted to and considering I'm not religious, I still laugh at myself and I'm like, I put myself in this position in this community. It might, my dad, I think, would laugh a lot at me if he was still around. <laughs> he would, I think he would have loved it too. He was a Presbyterian minister. He would have been coming So how is how has that experience been though, like working with it, and because uh, you know Louisville is a is a it's a good town, and in the South End people people have sort of a it's a Louisville is a is a neighborhood oriented town. It is. I think you know as far as the time bank is concerned, you know I mean nationally or even internationally the Louisville time bank is held up as one of the real success stories in time banks. And part of it, I think, honestly, is that Louisville is a town that not everybody has to work every second of their existence so they can continue eating and being sheltered. So people have some time to go and do some things with people and that's okay. And it doesn't all have to be paid. I mean, you live in New York, you've gotta be paid every minute. You should be paid while you're sleeping or you're not gonna be sleeping anywhere. So these, these cities that are not so expensive can often be a better places for time banks to land. But also that neighborhood aspect that really, that, you know, there's more nonprofit organizations here per capita from my understanding than almost any other city in the country. And I think there's a lot of do-gooders and wanna do good. And, and also just that thing where you could possibly make a friend in the grocery store in Louisville. This is an awesome place to live. I mean, really, I've lived a lot of places now and I've traveled. This is by far my favorite place I've lived in. And I adore Chicago. I miss things about it, but I don't miss the winters. That's a given. I miss the restaurants and I miss some of the neighborhoods, but Louisville's my favorite place to live. Hi, this is Mick, the producer and host of Allidade and AudioMap. And I just wanted to break into the program briefly. Uh, first of all, to thank you all for listening. Uh, I also like to extend our gratitude to uh, iTunes and their affiliate program. Uh, if you're listening to this program right now, chances are really good you found it through iTunes. And we just wanted to show uh, them a little love. Now, if you uh, like this episode or any previous episode that you have listened to, please, 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 please uh, consider subscribing on uh, iTunes. It's free. doesn't cost you anything, of course. And it helps uh, us with rankings in terms of where we are in the catalog. And if you like these episodes so much that you would like to sponsor future episodes, uh, if you go to our website at allidadepodcast.com, uh, there'll be a link to the sponsorship page that will uh, show you how you can do that. We uh, break it down uh, in terms of three episodes six episodes or a full 12 episodes, which is actually a full, uh, a full season here at Allidade. So uh, please take a look at that if you uh, would like to 
sponsor future episodes. Uh, and now, back to the story. I am the communications director for Mackenzie Cantrell in the 38th House District, and that, that is, um, goes from Oakdale, kind of like just behind uh, um, Churchill Downs, south through parts of Beachmont, through Iroquois, Iroquois Park, over like to Manslick, all the way, and it goes all the way down into parts of Jefferson Memorial Forest. I mean, it gets all the way down to where there's not that many people, but every house district has about, they, the sweet spot's 43,000 in it, and this is, the, this is one of the urban ones. And uh, I reached out to Mackenzie early this spring in the primary because I was excited about her campaign. I was not excited about the, the uh, person who she was running against in the primary. I, did, I didn't think he was appropriate and for the role. And I realized that she was doing everything herself. And I have a lot of PR and communications background. I've just sort of, it's not an official thing, but it always ends up happening. I'm, sure. Media, it, it, I find in Louisville, is really easy to access. If you can write well, if you can get them a good, get them a good, it doesn't even have to be a media pack here. I mean, a good press release and you present yourself well, There, it's hard in a small market to get enough things to talk about every day. So I ended up doing this stuff. And so I, it started with me just kind of running her social media. And then and that was through the primary. And I had done a little bit of work with uh, ads on social media. Now I, I feel like I have a PhD in ads. <laughs> but um, just to be clear, on Facebook, everyone needs to remember they're what's being sold. That's all I'm telling you. I mean, if you, there's a reason it's it's not free. We're the product, but just saying. Anyhow, I mean, I can't see your stuff, your personal stuff, but that we're it's the most amazing demographic collecting device ever. But uh, but so I digress. But as far as uh, when the general campaign started, I actually started doing working on a lot more things. Working on writing press releases, working on, you know, working with the bigger company that, that helps put out mail pieces. Um, kind of lucky that I've been more involved in media where uh, we've gotten a really wonderful videographer, a production company that's making it. It's not finished, but it's looking pretty spectacular uh, video that will be web-based, at least at this point. Um, so that's been really fun to do. I, uh, she's a great candidate. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think so. She's, she's younger and I think it would be really easy for people to misjudge her. She, you know, she's got blonde hair, it's curly. She's got kind of a thick Southern accent. But man, you don't really don't want to mess with her. She's really smart. <laughs> She's not a labor lawyer because she's not a lawyer for unions. She is a nonprofit. She works for the uh, uh, a nonprofit where she's an employment lawyer. So she works for people who don't have the protections of unions. 
So she's working with people who, and, and she's also doing advocacy in Frankfurt. I mean, I'm sure this will be spinned as she's a lobbyist, but what she does is she goes and uh, goes to Frankfurt and advocates for regular worker protections, safe workplaces, you know, uh, minimum, she was highly involved in the local minimum wage law uh, getting, and, and defending it. So she goes and lobbies for that in Frankfurt. She, well, the dogs just need attention now, don't they? They're gonna stamp their feet, so if your dogs ignore them. But, uh, but yeah, she's a good, she's, she's a great candidate and it's been really an interesting thing to do. It's brought together a lot of interest for me. I've been very political, really my entire life. My parents were, um, and, you know, they were kind of, they were a tad too old to be hippies, but they were, they both went to seminary at the University of Chicago. They, you know, my mom was, ended up being a social worker, my dad was a minister, and they definitely came through that more liberal, uh, you know, backing things. I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't need anything from Nestle like my entire growing up. So I kind of like just in my life, I've had a lot of that and I've done a lot of politics and I've been backed a lot of candidates, you know, I mean like been involved, but I've, this is the first time that I went, you know, beyond the veil. <laughs> here I be, here I be doing it. It's been interesting. It's been funny being, being at like fundraisers and stuff. And then also listening to the rhetoric right now about how, you know, about how mad people are about fundraising, you know? It's been an interesting thing. And then I look at the bills, how much things are costing, and go, I want someone to explain to me how we're work gonna work this out, <laughs> you know? Because if someone wants to be competitive, it is unfortunate, but the way the setup is right now, you need to go get money. And hopefully, you know, I mean, we can proudly say we're not getting money from Koch Brothers sources or dark money or anything, that's going to our, going to our opponent. Well, your opponent's the, the guy that switched parties, right? He is. Denny Butler switched parties. Um, no, there's no barking. Um, but he, Denny Butler switched parties, kind of for a weird reason. Supposedly with his fund that it, there was malfeasance, he says. It actually came out today that there really wasn't any. There was nothing illegal. Even the auditor said so. So I'm not, that might have been a big disappointment for him. I'm not really sure. but. He switched parties with Bevan, it became governor, and I, I, that troubles me. He, he likes to say that he's going to stay the same on labor and union, and I, I find that really hard to believe. Um, you know, Dan Syme, the district south of here, he did the same thing. He said, oh yeah, I'll back union, blah, 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 but he has now put up, he was one of the ones involved in trying to get right to work. You know, and I, I just, I, I long for a day when party was not so specific on policy like this, where someone would have the room within a party to have some flexibility. I mean, that's one, I think one of the most interesting political things that's really shifted is that they're really, even like in Reagan's day, there was a lot of room in each party. There were liberal Republicans, especially in the East, and there were, you know, and there was, and there still is in Kentucky, pretty right-wingish Democrats. You know, it's only been the last 10 or 12 years where there's been this real, like, party line, hardcore. 
there would always be room for these folks that were sort of oddities. The evangelical right thing, I think, when they really got in bed with them in the early 80s, really was a moment because there was so much power there. And they were able to galvanize so many people. And then really, a lot of issues that always used to be about labor. And Kentucky is an interesting state because the Democratic Party has power through labor. It doesn't have it through social issues. And they've been able to hold on to that for a pretty damn long time, considering this is that we just now have Bevan. I mean, when I moved here, I was actually kind of shocked on certain things that are progressive here that are kind of quiet that people don't pay any attention to. There's no charter schools here. And some people would argue that's bad. I've lived places where there's charter schools. Those things are a money suck, like unbelievably. Most of our prisons here are not run by private entities. They have to be run by Kentucky State employees. Um, we're going to lose all those things, and that's going to mean all of us are going to lose. If we had another type, if we were not, the way our system was set up was not this two-party system, we had a parliament. I would do very different things, but as it is, unless there would be very unusual circumstances, I'm kind of a old school yellow dog Democrat, I just vote for him, and then I give him shit afterwards. You know, I mean, because the hard part is, you've got to get yourself elected. And you have to deal with the entire, it's been really fascinating being on the other side of like, got to get elected to do all this good work. You want to do all these good things, but you've got these whack jobs in your possibly, well not whack, I don't want to say whack jobs, but people with very strong beliefs in your district that maybe are not quite what you believe, but you don't want to make them angry either and then not vote for you. It's just politics is a funny game, you know, and I'm finding, one of the things I find interesting, and I think this has especially been since President Obama, you know, he started in 2006, 10 years ago, or two, it was 2007, early 2007, where he was running. And he was so inspirational to so many people, me included. But this idea that a candidate or someone who's in office would match you personally, that had never really been quite out there before. There was that thing, you want to drink a beer with George. But that really, like, I don't believe this one thing, therefore they're off the table, and I'm gonna vote. And, and it's like, there's no one that's ever matched me perfectly, so I don't know. I vote, I, I, I argue for harm reduction. <laughs> People say, I voted for the lesser evil. I'm like, I don't know, there's evil, and then there's a shit ton of evil, and then we're like, annihilated evil. You know, so, I mean, so I'm kind of a really bizarre, mix of very very left but a strong pragmatic streak so but yeah so i don't go i don't go third party so yellow dog so i voted for that conway and i was disappointed when he lost but it didn't surprise me one bit you know 
I want, you know, it's like, dude, you need to work harder than that. <laughs> you know, you gotta go beat Mitch. Because one of the things I said to people when I was getting made fun of, I was moving to Kentucky from people from St. Louis, which is ridiculous. I said, but I get to vote against Mitch McConnell. You know, another project I'm working with now that's completely separate from this other one, because registering to vote is always a really big deal to me. I've been involved with um, kind of this coalition that is called New Citizens Vote Louisville. And because in Kentucky, because they made an amendment saying that English was the permanent language, Secretary of State can't put out information how to vote in other languages. So you've got all these people in in who speak other languages originally. There's no you know register to vote in Spanish here, none of that. So we this so this is Kentucky Refugee Ministries, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, um, Office of uh, Kentucky Office of Refugees, who else? There's a the part of the Office of Globalization is involved in this. There's some of us that are just kind of there as individuals that this is a big deal. That we developed voter guides. There is, there's 16 voter guides now that you just got on Monday in every language. It's more refugee languages because that's where the funding came from to get all the translations and get them made. But it's, uh, but uh, uh, we are, that's a cool thing that's going on. I, I was at a neighborhood meeting a little while ago. There was a bunch of neighborhood associations and an older man who I really love, but he, he lives a little, a little south of here. But there was discussion that was kind of verging into, you could tell there was a little bit of just a whiff of immigrant or refugee resentment. And I love this old guy, he's an old union guy, and he, and he just was like, there's no problem with any of the immigrants in my neighborhood, they keep their yards fine. It's all the white trash that we have a problem with in our neighborhood. I could have just died. And he's like 77. So, you know, and it was, and you know, and, every, and, and, and you know what, it was amazing. The whole room shifted and they're like, yes, we love, you know, and it was, it was a good manners kind of etiquette kick in the ass for some people because I could feel it coming. I could feel it coming. And I was like, I was like, I, I hadn't, I was listening and that he just jumped in there and did that. I'm like, I want this guy with me everywhere I go, <laughs> everywhere I go. Because, you know, one of the reasons also that John and I moved to the South End, I mean, it, part of it was just the houses were so good here. But also, even though to a lot of people they looked at my husband John, they'd say he was white. But really, John's half Greek. His mother, uh, uh, first generation, but they, he had the experience when he was younger of his mother not being allowed in somewhere in Oklahoma. And, and so John doesn't, I mean, obviously he, he's completely aware of privilege that goes with it, but he has a good little bit of 
But when we lived in the Highlands, he would always say, there are just too many white people here. Which we laugh about since, I mean, he was brought up Episcopalian and I'm Presbyterian and I'm like, we both have kind of waspy sort of aesthetic anyway, but we still then are like, and, and in like the neighborhood we lived in, in St. Louis, it was an African-American neighborhood mostly. And I lived in one of them in Chicago. White was, it, where it was, was not the majority. So yeah, I like it. I want, I love all of the cool development coming down here. The Hope Community Farm that's here, that's the refugee farm that's partnered up with um, Louisville Gross. That, that's good stuff. That's good development. That's a great, actually, example of a great nonprofit working with the city, working to create good outcomes, you know, in, in, heck, even a religious component mixed with a nonprofit. It's all those, and it's actually all those wonderful Republican talking points, but, but, but actually in Louisville, I think some of that really works. Like, I don't even know if it's Republican here. There's so many people who want to do cool things and good things, and they want to put it in action. But yeah, so I love all the, I love all the, uh, the diversity around here. I don't even, I, I want a new word though. Diversity sounds like bad meetings where people have quotas. I just love people that are different from me. I love it. I want to find out what they eat because I'm bored with what I have. Living in Chicago in the neighborhood when I was 18 to like 27, where there was no majority, there was everything from like Vietnamese French food, fusion, to Ecuadorian, to, I mean, it was around the world within six blocks in any direction. So I love it here for that reason. Thank you for listening to this episode of Alidade and Audio Map. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. We'd also like to take some time to thank our new affiliate partners, Mr. Art, the world's largest online arts and supply store, which offers free shipping on orders over $200, and Art Naturals, specializing in premium quality natural health and beauty products. They offer free shipping on all orders uh, over $4.99. We'd also like to thank our new affiliate partner, InnerServer.net, which offers virtual web hosting starting at $6.95 a month. Please take some time to visit our homepage at AlladatePodcast.com and check out their links. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing to us uh, on iTunes or through Podbean or Stitcher. This is Mick Parsons, the producer here at Alladate and AudioMap. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>